This is the Overtime Podcast Network. This is the Turn on the Jets Podcast. With the third pick in the 2019 NFL Draft, the New York Jets select Quinnen Williams, nose tackle, Alabama. Now, here's your host, Joe Caparoso. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Turn on the Jets Podcast. I'm your host, Joe Caparoso, owner of TurnOnTheJets.com. Today we're going to be joined by longtime co-host Dalvin Sario. We're going to go through some of the questions you guys sent through on Twitter uh, and talk about a range of topics, including our expectations for the Jets this summer as they're kicking off training camp this week and obviously getting closer to preseason and all that good stuff because football is now actually back. So we're going to talk 53-man roster, uh, some potential veteran additions we think they could make, including the one they just made by adding Ryan Griffin yesterday. Uh, and a whole other range of other topics. Uh, before we get into talking to Dalvin, a reminder to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on iTunes. It's also available on Spotify and Google Play. Give Dalvin a follow on Twitter. Give me a follow on Twitter at Jade Caparoso. And then make sure to check out TurnTheJets.com for daily articles and podcasts all throughout training camp. Just picking up in volume now since the season has finally made it here. Uh, by this weekend, all Jets veterans will be in camp, so it is actually, actually here. So, Dalvin, how you doing? Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I mean, you know, it's always it's always good to be back with you, Joe. I, I told you, every time you replace me with somebody else, I'm always like, they're not as good as me, and I'm going to be back soon. No, but it feels good. It feels good to be back. Um, and honestly, it just feels good to, I mean, I was talking to Connor about this uh, the other day, and I was telling him, I was like, man, it's so crazy. Like, I, we, you know, Cole, he and I joined TOJ in 2011. This is now, now going to be our eighth season together as part of TOJ. So that's kind of crazy. Um, but it feels good. So <laughs> I'm glad to still be here. Eight years of non-playoff football. It's, it's an unbelievable yeah. <laughs> drought that will hopefully uh, hopefully be broken this year. So let's let's start off with the latest news of this week, some positive and some negative. Off the top, the Jets add veteran tight end Ryan Griffin, uh, a guy that they had or should have had some interest in a few years ago and then finally got over the top in signing him to help compensate for Chris Herndon's four-game suspension. Uh, if you look what else is on the depth chart besides Herndon, you have rookie Trevin Wesco, you have Daniel Brown, who's a bit of a journeyman, and Eric Tomlinson, who is basically a glorified tackle playing tight end who can't block as well. So Griffin's a guy who, you know, only a few seasons ago had 50 catches. He has over 130 career catches, you know, a decent two-way player. He's not, you know, going to be a pro bowler, but he's a competent player, could be a good placeholder. Also on the negative side, we find out that Marcus May is going to start camp on the pup list. May ended last season on IR. Uh, He injured himself in the final game of his rookie year, and he did miss his final few games of his last year at Florida with a broken arm. So it's been three straight years from May that have ended with an injury. Uh, There's no guarantee that he's going to you know, miss any extended time. But I think with his injury injury history, this is a little concerning, especially when you look at the Jets' depth at safety. They also put Brandon Bryant, who's one of their backup safeties, uh, on the pup list to start out. And that leaves them with Rontez Miles, who basically missed all of last year and really is more of a special teamer, more than a defensive player. And Doug Middleton, who looked pretty overmatched when he had to fill in for May last year. So safety's a bit thin beside those guys. So what are your... How concerned are you about safety? And then what type of impact do you think Griffin could make on this offense? And do you think he's someone who's going to stick around even after Herndon comes back from his four-game suspension? 
Yeah, I mean, talking about the safeties in particular, I was concerned about the safeties when we hired Greg Williams as defensive coordinator <laughs> because I was worried about how, how May and Adams are going to be used. And I think that a lot of Jet fans in particular overhyped Marcus May because of, you know, what he did in Florida where he also had injury issues, injury concerns. And now, you know, sure enough, here we are. He's in the pros and he's had, again, similar injury concerns. Uh, I'm super concerned because I think that in Greg Williams's offense, especially with how thin the Jets are at corner um, and how just you don't know what you're going to get from Tremaine Johnson. You don't know what you're going to get from Daryl Roberts. You don't know what you're going to get from, from Poole, who they got from Atlanta. And safety is such an important part of what Greg Williams wants to do, especially as they do also don't have an edge rusher, right? So it, where's the pressure going to come from? The linebackers, particularly Mosley and Williamson, who have to play at least 70 percent of the snaps because of how much money they're, they're being made they're not necessarily the best at covering you know running backs and tight ends so it does put much more stress on the on the safeties and with Marcus May being injured it definitely does make you worry because you and you alluded to this when they drafted Jamal Adams and Marcus May back to back you draft a guy like Marcus May so Jamal Adams doesn't have somebody back there that's going to take plays off but that's exactly what they did because he's been hurt so much. And so I do worry about the impact on Jamal Adams as well. I think it's a baller anyway. He's probably going to produce, but you do have, you do have to wonder, does he now play it a bit safer on certain plays because he knows he's the only one back there. So if I'm the Jets, I would absolutely go and try and target, you know, some, some of the safeties available because I think you may have to make a decision on Marcus May sooner or later, and you'd rather have some depth already in place. That's one. With Ryan Griffin, I mean, you hit it on the head. He's a guy that, one, I mean, he has a career catch rate of 61%. He has seven touchdowns. Um, he's a guy, you know, sure hands, 11 yards per reception, per, uh, per reception, which again shows a guy that can absolutely move the chains. The thing that you do want with your, with your tight end up is, and again, this is also when Herndon returns, you want to see if Gase uses these two tight end sets and maybe they're not as prevalent in this offense because you have Ty Montgomery and Le'Veon Bell who are really good pass catchers, but you're not going to run, you know, Le'Veon Bell, Ty Montgomery, and then three wide receivers in every formation. That's just not going to happen. And Griffin helps as a blocker as well. He's a better blocker than Chris Herndon is right now. And so I absolutely think he sticks, and I think he's a guy that can become an early season favorite for Sam Darnold just because he has shown a knack for getting open. And Sam Darnold, very similar to Baker Mayfield, is just going to throw it where the guy's open. It doesn't matter who it is. And I think Griffin is, is going to end up being the beneficiary of that. Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to see um, how the Jets utilize the tight end position in this offense. I think there's a few different ways they could go about it. And, you know, is, is someone like Griffin or Wesco going to be really heavily involved in the pass game early in the season? Or are they going to be more utilized as blockers? And when the Jets want to throw up the seam, they slide a guy like Quincy Inouye inside to H-back. Uh, I think there's a lot of different options in how they could attack the middle of the field. I do think, you know, Herndon's, they're going to miss Herndon a lot. I think he's one of the more flexible and versatile pieces and a strong tight end uh, is a great asset for a young quarterback. And, you know, Anderson obviously finished last season really strong, but Herndon was really Sam Darnold's most consistent target throughout the season and a guy who was able to get up over 500 yards as a rookie in a pretty bad offense. So I think, you know, they're going to miss him those first four games, and those four games are tough. I do think Griffin gives you a competent placeholder, uh, but he's certainly not going to be as dynamic as Herndon, and Herndon is overall. I will say that he's definitely a better and more proven NFL player than guys like Daniel Brown and guys like Eric Tomlinson. So good for the Jets being proactive there. I'd like to see them be similarly proactive at safety and corner because it's a thin group in the secondary right now. Now, when I was going through making 
my very, very premature and initial 53-man prediction, knowing that the Jets are going to be working the waiver wire and probably making a couple other transactions. I actually had them keeping uh, Bryant, if he could get healthy, on the roster over a guy like Middleton, who I think you know has kind of bounced around the back of the roster for the past three or four years, but always seems to be hurt and didn't really thrive in a bigger role. Um, I could still, I would still feel much better if there was another veteran there with a little more experience. I think in at corner, I think it's probably the most fluid position on the roster. I think we know the top three are going to be there: Johnson, Poole, and Roberts. Derek Jones very likely to stick around in some capacity. After that, I don't think guys like Perry Nickerson or Jeremy Clark have a guaranteed roster spot. You've already seen Joe Douglas bring on a couple of castoffs. I think the Jets are going to be. Very active. If any other veterans shake loose when it comes to waiver wire time, uh, I think that position is completely wide open, really, when you get past the top three guys. Uh, and there's no guarantees that some of these old regime hangovers uh, or people who are still left around from the old regime are going to get a roster spot. You know, a guy like Nickerson is a six round pick, which is basically a UDFA. Uh, and struggled a lot as a rookie, and the Jets weren't confident now was the old regime. They weren't confident enough in him taking over the slot that they went and signed Poole. So I think that's the one I got the most pushback on for projecting, but I don't really know why. There's no guarantee that, you know, your fifth or sixth corner needs to stick around just because he's a second-year guy who was drafted. So I, I feel like they've already made the veteran move at tight end. I feel like a veteran move is coming at corner. I don't know if it's going to be the big name that some people want it to be, but I think they're going to be poking around and trying to get their hands on somebody who has some experience, and that could shake up the bottom of the depth chart. When you're looking at the overall 53-man roster, is there anyone that kind of jumps out to you as a surprise, quote-unquote surprise of being cut, or quote-unquote surprise of making the actual 53? Yeah, I mean, you you nailed it, man. I think that there's, I mean, when you look at the corner depth chart, right, like right now you have you know, you have Tremaine Johnson, you have Brian Poole, you have Daryl Roberts. Could a guy like Tavon Campbell be the guy that, you know, ends up being the fourth corner? Um, could it be Derek Jones, who allegedly flashed last year? Could it be somebody like Montreal Meander, who they acquired from Oakland? Who they acquired, uh, Oakland release that they claimed them in waivers? Or Arthur Mollett, another, you know, like, and then, so I think you have, you have guys that need to step up because the depth chart is absolutely, absolutely terrible. With that said, I think that in other positions, so for example, you look at defensive linemen, right? Like Nathan Shepard is a guy who I had him ranked number 91 on my top 100 last year before the Jets drafted him, but he's a guy that I think the scholarship could be over, especially if you see somebody like Kyle Phillips or Bronson Kafalsi step up. Or do you see, you know, follow Fatsukasi take take a step that you didn't really see last year, where in turn they don't feel the need to keep Nathan Shepard behind Henry Anderson. At linebacker, I, I think that they're going to be pretty set at linebacker. I think I'd be absolutely floored if somebody like, you know, if Frankie Louvu was cut, because I think he was one of the better pass rushers on the team. And that's saying a lot because the pass rushing is absolutely terrible on this team. Brandon Copeland's a guy that I think is going to stick. And I know a lot of people have said, oh, well, Polite's going to take his spot. I think a lot of people are expecting a lot out of Ja'Kai Polite. And the, the track record for day two draft picks who are taken squarely to be pass rushers is is not it's not one that you can hang your hat on and say absolutely he's going to make it maybe a guy like James Burgess ends up sticking because of his special teams value and because he knows and so he been because he knows Adam Gase on offense I mean the the 
it really interesting thing is that a lot of people are absolutely banking on Brandon Shell coming back and Brandon Shell absolutely being, you know, the starting right tackle. I would not be so sure of that. And that's something that I think would, the Jets are going to have to monitor because I think Beecham, Osamele, Harrison, and Winters are absolutely entrenched as starters. There is a very good chance that Adoga beats out Brandon Shell for right ta- for, for the starting right tackle position. And the Jets may opt to cut Brandon Shell and keep Brent Quale or move, you know, Brandon Shell for a later pick. Or maybe they trade him for a tight end you know, the veteran tight end that becomes available. I think it's definitely something to watch, man, because I think the Jets, I think a lot of people are assuming that there's a lot of guys that are going to stick, like guys like Sharon Peak or guys, you know, guys like Brandon Show. And I think we may see some surprises there. Um, and I think, especially a wide receiver, you're looking at Quadri Henderson, who has kick return and punt returning experience. He's a guy that could stick. Um, and Josh Bellamy's another guy that I think could stick over a guy like Deontay Burnett. So guys that, that have been overhyped by this fan base because we haven't had a ton of talent are probably going to see a lot of those guys pushed off the roster. Yeah, I think this is going to be, and I think this is pretty common when you have over on the coaching staff and in the front office. I think there'll be some surprises or more surprises than usual. It's not going to be like the standard chalk fifty-three that you know most people are able to really nail down who the you know the first forty-eight to fifty guys are, and then there's like a few fluid spots. I think maybe the last like ten to twelve spots are going to be a lot more wide open than we're used to seeing. I also think they'll be more active than usual on the veteran acquisition market, whether that's throughout the preseason or, or right before the first week. I mean, I think, you know, out, outside of who's going to stick and who's not going to stick, some of the major storylines I'm expecting to see, and I don't think any of these are surprises. I think everything's going to be about Sam Darnold, and I'm sure Sam Darnold is going to look very good uh, this summer. He played good last summer. There's no reason to expect he wouldn't replicate that uh, with a little more experience under his belt uh, going forward. Um, and then, you know, with Le'Veon Bell, I feel like it's going to be a very light workload for him this summer, which is completely fine in my mind. I feel like he's barely going to play in the preseason outside of maybe the third game. I think you'll see a lot of work given a Montgomery, uh, Elijah McGuire to see if he can still find out, you know, a role for himself despite them having Montgomery and Powell. But I don't think we're going to see a ton of Bell this preseason, and that will probably lead to some exaggerated concerns about, you know, him being ready to go. But I just don't think with a veteran like that, you're going to give him too, too much work in August. And I think they are going to ramp up his work early in the season. I think the games before the bye week, he may only be getting like, I don't know, 14 to 20 touches a game. And then I think post bye week, you'll see him back at his full normal usage uh, that everyone's expecting where he's regularly above 20 touches per game and maybe some weeks approaching 30 uh, overall. Uh, and again, I, I just I think from the backup quarterback standpoint, I think it would be pretty much Trevor Simeon's job to lose. I think he'll play the most reps of any quarterback this summer. I think with Darnold, he's going to be like one drive in the first preseason game, probably not play in the fourth preseason game, and then really see you know maybe two or three drives in the second preseason game, and then obviously get the normal full, full first half in the third preseason game. But I'm not expecting a ton of action from sort of the main quote unquote veterans. And that would be bell funny enough, Darnold now in year two. And then guys like, you know, CJ Mosley and Avery Williamson and Leonard Williams. I don't expect to be seeing substantial amounts of them uh, over the summer. I mean, what are you expecting out of Le'Veon Bell's usage in the early parts of the season? And do you think he's going to be under a ridiculous microscope for every little thing he is and isn't doing? Every single thing that he's doing, every single thing. I, I think that there's going to be 
there's not going to be anything that he does that absolutely escapes any kind of scrutiny or criticism. I, I just, I think that's, that's the reality, but I do think, I mean, I'll stick to my prediction. I think he's going to win offensive player of the year. I think he's that good. I think people have forgotten how good he is. And I think he's in a situation where he has, and granted he's played with Antonio Brown, you know, top two, top three receiver of the last decade, I would say, the last you know, seven, eight years. But you're now putting him in a situation with an offensive line that's committed to the run game, a coach that will, that I think if, if we get the good Adam Gates, we'll use him the way that he's supposed to be used. But I think, I mean, honestly, if he comes out the first game and has 20 carries for 80 yards and then five catches for 60 yards, I think people are still going to say, oh, that's not the same. He's clearly lost a step. Um, but I think, I mean, I think he's going to win offensive player of the year. I think that we're going to look back on the preseason as nothing really but I think it's going to absolutely be magnified and people will call the Jets stupid you know when he has a bad game because they'll call him stupid for paying him but I think he's going to have a huge year I think the guy that you want to watch out for um, you know is, is somebody you know because again, the Jets have Bell and they have Montgomery and they have Powell and they have McGuire and Cannon and they just waved the Angelo Henderson today I thought I saw and then they also have Valentine Holmes I think it's who's going to stand out where they have to stick over Trenton Cannon or over a guy like Elijah McGuire because I do not think the Jets keep four running backs. Uh, I mean, sorry, I do think the Jets keep four running backs, but I don't think it's certain that McGuire is the fourth back, and I'm I'm almost 100% sure that the, that Cannon isn't on the roster. So do you see a guy like Valentine Holmes absolutely you know, leap over these two? Um, I think also with Wesco, who you mentioned, I think he's going to be used more as a de facto fullback as is, um, which I think is going to help Le'Veon Bell's game tremendously because to have a guy that size be your lead blocker to create these holes for you, I think Le'Veon Bell's going to have a big year, and I don't think the preseason is going to matter at all. When you're dealing with a player of Bell's caliber, uh, overanalyzing the things that do and don't happen in the summer are probably a waste of time. Um, and again, I, I do expect some of that panic, but I think for the bulk of the season, outside of maybe the first two or three games, I think he's going to be the workhorse that everybody ultimately anticipates him being. Um, let's rip through and answer some of the questions we got on Twitter before we close out here. Um, so... Question from Ken on Baths. Who do you think is the second best team in our division? No one is talking about the Bills, but they seem sneaky good this year. I think it's an interesting question. I think if you ask most people, it's probably a 50-50 split between the Bills and the Jets. I think Bills fans will say the Bills. I think Jet fans will say the Jets. I think most Dolphin fans would probably give up that it's either the Bills or the Jets, although I'm sure a few of them would still say Miami. Um, I think it's reasonable to predict both the Jets and Bills to be between 7-9 and nine to 9-7 nine and seven this year. Ultimately, I like the Jets a little better because I think they have the best overall offensive player of the two teams in Le'Veon Bell. I think Sam Darnold is going to be a better quarterback in year two than Josh Allen. Now, that being said with Buffalo, I like the overall collection of talent they have on the offensive line better. Uh, I think they have a better secondary than the Jets. I think from a coaching standpoint, those guys are you know pretty comparable with McDermott and Gase. And I do think those two head-to-head games, which are week one and week 17, are going to be absolutely critical in terms of shaking out who that second-place team is in the division. The Jets have to win week one. You can't lose at home to Buffalo uh, and then still have to go there later in the year. But more importantly, you can't lose to Buffalo when you have Cleveland, New England, and Philadelphia the upcoming weeks. So I, I really think right. it's a, I would give a slight edge to the Jets. I don't think the Jets are substantially better than Buffalo. I think they're very comparable teams overall. But, you know, if you ask me now, I'd say the Jets are going to be 8-8 eight and eight or 9-7, and seven, and the Bills are going to be 8-8 eight and eight or 7-9. and nine. But I think that could obviously flip either way. I mean, what do you think overall? 
Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's the Jets, and I think just because I think Sam Donald is better than Josh Allen, I think Le'Veon Bell is better than any running back that the Bills have. I think the Jets have such a huge advantage on offense um, that I think then then even then when we flip it over to the defense, and again, I Ed Oliver is better than Quentin Williams to me, so I I would give them the edge there. Um, I think they have an actual edge rusher versus we have a potential edge rusher, and their secondary they have Tre'Davious White, who is absolutely without a doubt better than Tremaine Johnson. So offensively, but I think I think the gap in defense is closer than the gap on offense. I think the Jets absolutely blow them out of the water. I think Buffalo. In my opinion, the one thing that I think they did do was they invested in the offensive line, which I think was good. I think, you know, signing Mitch Morris was huge for that team. But I do not like their investment in the in the in the passing game. I think they instead of targeting maybe bigger receivers that would help Josh Allen because he's such an inaccurate quarterback, they essentially went for smaller receivers that had really good yak potential. And that's not Josh Allen's game. That's and so I think they didn't get the kind of receivers that I would have gotten for him. Whereas what the Jets did with Sam Donald, I think the Jets absolutely got guys that can help Sam Darnold on the offensive end. And so I would give the edge to the Jets because I think the edge offensively is just so much bigger. Um, Buffalo third and then Miami fourth. I, I didn't, and again, Miami's very clear about what it is that they're doing, but I really hope Josh Rosen gets a chance to stick there because I think he could be their starter long-term. Another question that we got from John Filippi, and we've gotten this question a decent amount. Any chance you see the Jets making a trade for Trent Williams? We know he's not happy in Washington. If so, what do you think it will take to get him? I'm not banking on them pulling off that type of major move this summer. I think it would be great, and they definitely need help at tackle. I think to get a guy like that, you probably have to give up a first. If not a first, then maybe you know two seconds or, or something like that. It would have to be multiple mid-round picks. I just I, I know that you know big names to get excited about in the trade market: Trent Williams, Jalen Ramsey, Darius Slay, uh, AJ Green. Jadavion Clowney, I don't feel like they're going to make that type of massive move before the season. I do think Williams is interesting from a, you know, a fit standpoint. He's, you know, a little up there in age, but not to the point where you wouldn't want to line him up with Darnold's rookie contract. I just wouldn't bet on it happening. And I feel like they're going to go into this year with Beecham, Shell, and Adoga, try to get through with that. And then really next off season, the full first off season for this new front office very aggressively work on completely rebuilding the entire offensive line. What what are you anticipating? Yeah, so I mean, I as you were talking, I was like, yeah, all of that makes sense. But then Joe Douglas came from the NFC East, so if anybody knows the importance of if anybody knows one how good Trent Williams is, and the importance of you know the left tackle position. I mean, we saw what happened to the Eagles once Jason Peters went down, right? And so I think that there is a chance that Douglas could pull this move. I, in my pick six last, last week, I talked about that, that, that the move that I could see is him trading for Darius Slade because he's a guy, again, another guy, a veteran holding out for a new deal, who I think would be an absolute upgrade over Tremaine Johnson. You slide Tremaine Johnson over to the second corner, Roberts to the third, and I think you have a really good group there. Um, but Trevor Limbs is a guy who he's owed $10 million. He's, he was in line for a new deal. But if you want to really throw out the five best offensive linemen that you can, an offensive line of Trent Williams, Kaleke Osamele, Jonathan Harrison, Brian Winters, and Calvin Beecham, who has experience playing right tackle, that's not a bad group at all to go to war with for Sam Darnold. But I will tell you this, you make a move like that, you are absolutely banking on making the playoffs this year because you're you're then going to still pay Williams, obviously, because you want a franchise left tackle. Next year's draft class is insane in terms of offensive linemen. 
if that's the move you're going to make and you're sacrificing that first round pick, which I'm being entirely honest though, I think that if they get Trent Williams, I think they're a playoff team. So it means that that's a mid mid first round pick, like 2021. Um, that's not a move that I would be against making, uh, but I think it would cost the first. Then you'd have to be prepared to pay him a new deal. All right, next question from Swift. I read a few articles that are stating that the best coaching move of the offseason was the Jets hiring Adam Gase. Seems like it was heavily criticized at first, but now it's being praised. What is your take on this? I, I think when the Jets first hired Gase, most fans were unhappy with it. The national media reaction to it was, I don't know, a little up and down. I think Gase has a, cultivated himself a good reputation with a lot of people in the media that have sung his praises, so maybe sometimes a, a little too much over the top. Uh, based on his actual results. I think, as to be expected, he's been the coach for a few months. You know, you see some videos of him in action. You read some articles about him. Fans are going to warm up to him. He's the team's coach. You're going to root for him to do well if you're a fan of the team. I'm no different. I did not like the hire. I still don't like the hire, and I won't be convinced to like the hire until the Jets are winning more than they lose. Doesn't mean that I'm not rooting for Gase to prove me wrong and do really well this year. Now, I think, you know, in some... Some of those same media members are still praising this move. Some have been a little more skeptical. I think it's been a little, you know, inconsistent and all over the place. Personally, do I think Adam Gase is going to be the Jets coach the next five, six, seven years? Probably not. No. Um, do I think offensively they can improve this year and he can do some positive things? Yes. I, I just, I need to see it. You know, I, I just, the last two years he was not good in Miami. I understand there were qualifying factors that go with that. But that was a team that really fell apart last year and laid down those final three weeks and got the crap kicked out of them by three bad teams. And that's the last thing that stuck in my mind in watching an Adam Gase coach team. So I'll believe it when I see it. You know, the Jets from an on-paper standpoint should probably be around eight, nine wins. If they have six or seven wins this year, I don't know why they feel like they have to bring Gates back. If they get eight, nine, ten wins, I'm sure he will be back and everyone will be pretty happy with the job he did. Eight, you're pretty happy. Nine or ten, you're really happy. So I don't know. I think we got to see it in action. You know, Is he going to learn from his mistakes in Miami? How is he going to script games? What is the tempo going to be? I think that's all on the table. I mean, how are you feeling about Gates now? I, you know, and I, I've seen that a lot, Joe. Like a lot of people are like, oh, so now we love the Gates hire. And, and no. <laughs> No, I would have much rather gone for another coach. I would have hired Mike McCarthy or whatever. Like, I, if if I wanted, I'd go, if I wanted to go with a retreat, um, or just giving King Cliff Kingsbury all the money so that he wouldn't have gone to the desert. Um, I no, I I think that for me, and I remember watching so many Dolphin games and thinking, man, he does not put, he does not play his best players as much as he should. Like so many times, benching Kenyon Drake for Frank Gore, uh, just absolutely not having any kind of rapport with Ryan Tannehill, who again, like Ryan Tannehill is not as talented a quarterback as Sam Donald is, but that does worry me because if it's one of those things where like, did Gase know that Tannehill was trash? And then he was like, Oh, I'm not going to you know, put the time in to build this relationship or whatever the case may be. Um, I no, I am not not happy about the hire. I don't, I don't feel good about the hire. Adam Gates is probably the one though, the outside of Tremaine Johnson, Adam Gates is probably the thing I'm most worried about this upcoming season because I do think that the Jets, you know, and kudos to Mike McCagnan, right, for spending all of Christopher Johnson's money in order to bring in high-priced free agents, right? So I guess that's great. But, you know, I mean, you brought in all those free agents to offset the fact that you couldn't draft for the time that you were here. But I think on paper, this is a team that should be playing meaningful games in December. Um, and 
I and by meaningful, I mean in playoff contention, not necessarily a playoff team. But I, I'm worried about Adam Gase, and I and I think that it's not normal to be worried, and I won't stop worrying until he shows me that things have changed. And even that, the Jets could go ten and six this year, Joe, and it could be in spite of Adam Gase. We've seen teams do that all the time. So I, yeah, I, I would need to see it for more than a year in order to feel comfortable about the hire and admit that I was wrong. I mean, it may seem like a, a silly comparison, but. I don't think it is. Now, Todd Bowles was not a very good head coach. It's the reason he got fired. But in his first year, he inherited a 4-12 and team, had a roster built by Mike McCagnan. Adam Gase is inheriting a 4-12 and team with a roster built by Mike McCagnan. Uh, and Todd Bowles won 10-6 and in his first year. Uh, and he had Ryan Fitzpatrick at quarterback. Adam Gase is going to have Sam Darnold. Uh, he's also going to have Le'Veon Bell and C.J. Mosley and Jamal Adams. Now, of course, the Jets' other roster in 2015 didn't have Adams, Bell, and Mosley. They did have Brandon Marshall and Eric Decker uh, and Darrell Rivas. So it balanced out in a few other different positions. Uh, but it was a very similar situation that these first-year coaches have inherited, and Bowles found his way to 10 wins. And you would say the Jets had a really easy schedule. The Jets had the 29th hardest schedule, I think, in the NFL this year, if you go by winning percentage. So on paper, they have an easy schedule. Uh, they're in a division with a team who's openly tanking this year in Miami uh, and another team in Buffalo who's not widely expected to be a playoff team. So I'm very curious to see what the reaction is going to be if the Jets go, and they're right on that borderline, they go 8-8. Eight and eight. And I'm curious to see you know what the narrative is around that. Before we let you go, Dalvin, give us one bold prediction for a Jets training camp this year. Yeah. Um, okay. My prediction is that Joe Douglas trades for Darius Slay midweek through the second week of training camp. I think that there is absolutely no way that Greg Williams goes into goes into this season with this cornerback group. And I think him and Gase and Joe Douglas do what they do do what they have to do in order to get a premier shutdown corner into the into this onto this team before training camp ends. And I think I think the person that benefits the most out of that is Robbie Anderson. Because, again, I don't think him cooking Jermaine Johnson in practice is going to help his development in this very important year. I think going up against a guy like Darius Slay will help him. Um, So, yeah, I think the Jets acquired Darius Slay, and him versus Robbie becomes the very fun matchup at training camp to watch. Sounds good. I think that would be an exciting move. Obviously, we would all feel much better about the Jets' cornerback position. All right, everybody, thank you for listening. We'll be back with another episode or two next week. Now that camp is back, we'll try to get some extra bonus episodes in with some mailbag questions. Dalvin, as always, thank you for joining us. Make sure to follow Dalvin. Hey, absolutely. Make sure to follow Dalvin on Twitter at DA underscore Sario. And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening.